a first up here on TSN 1050, Karolnik and Koliakovo. We're streaming worldwide, TSN 1050.ca and the iHeartRadio Canada app. Big one for the Leafs tonight in New Jersey. The fifth and final game of a trip that started in Seattle, ran through Western Canada, and now in Jersey this evening. So what's that, three different time zones in a matter of a week for the Toronto Maple Leafs? And they're without Ryan O'Reilly and John Tavares tonight. Tough test for the blue and white, Coco. So before we get into Leaf talk, I have a f- small confession to make. Uh, because this song um, reminded me of the NHL 94, NHL whatever game this, this hit was on that we talked about a couple weeks ago. I played my son in Xbox 2008, no, 2013, I think, the video game. He beat me yesterday. Well, you played him in, in, in what? Like an, X, like an Xbox game with, in NHL? Xbox, Xbox NHL, yeah. Oh, wow. He's, he's going to be six years old on Friday. That's embarrassing. I was actually trying, and he beat me yesterday. Was he playing as Mitch Marner or... He was actually playing as the Toronto Maple Leafs of 2013, I believe, roster. I oh, you like an old-school Xbox is what yeah. you Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, the okay. old Xbox 360 is what I have. And he, first thing he says to me, he's like, Daddy, um, can you just not beat me really bad? I was like, yeah, that's okay, man. We're going to have some fun. And I was legitimately trying, and he beat me three two in overtime yesterday. I was it was kind of like one of those like embarrassing dad moments, but also one of those really proud dad moments because I was <laughs> who, like, "Wow, uh, good for you, kid!" Who scored the winner in OT for the Leafs? Oh God, who was it? I, I can't. KBR, Tyler Bozak, Phil Castle. If I could actually, I, I think it was Tyler Bozak that scored the OT winner. It was a right-handed shot it. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pick my go. pocket in the D zone. I was the Winnipeg Jets. So, um, funny story there. It's, it's a, tough for you, it's, man. It's a, it's a, hey, is, is, it, is it a tough thing as a dad to admit that, knowing that, look, I always thought I was a really good gamer when I played NHL religiously. But, like, do I, is that a, like a, a good confession to make, knowing that he beat me? Well, and you're just being honest, right? Yet? Little Leo is a prodigy in the NHL video games. I think that's pretty yeah. clear. You've got to get him the updated version, though. Like, he can't be playing NHL 13. You've well, got to get him the NHL 2023. It's his birthday on Friday, so uh. there's a little birdie in the air telling me oh. that uh, he might get the new system. So, oh, wow. He's yes. going to be loving that. Straight to Toys R Us to visit Cheese for that discount. <laughs> no doubt. Well, yes. I mean, if uh, if Leo is playing you with the current version of the Toronto Maple Leafs scheduled to participate in tonight's game against New Jersey, you'd be playing with a lot of Sam Lafferty, a lot of Callie Yarncroft, David Camp, because there will be no John Tavares tonight, who... Sheldon Keefe was talking about basically he cited travel and fatigue, but let's be honest. I mean, John Tavares took a couple of huge hits on Saturday night against the Canucks. I think they're just playing it safe with them. And Ryan O'Reilly placed on long-term injury. He's going to miss a combination of 10 games in 24 days with a broken finger. Here's Sheldon Keefe talking about O'Reilly and his timeline. 
Uh, he has a broken finger. He'll go on LTI. And you know, in terms of the full diagnosis and, and timeline, we'll have a better idea of that. He's seeing a specialist, I think, as we speak, back in Toronto right now. So we'll know more about it there. But obviously, I'm not sure exactly what the LTI timeline is, but he won't be eligible uh, for that period of time. And we'll uh, get him back up and running as soon as we can. So it's really unfortunate timing for the Leafs. So Riley was just kind of finding his groove. They were trying him in different roles, whether he was centering the second line, uh, centering the third line as he has the last couple of days. But there are those Felino 2.0 comparisons out there, very premature. Felino's back basically blew out on him, and he couldn't even move um, in the playoffs for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But needless to say... This sucks for Ryan O'Reilly and sucks for the Toronto Maple Leafs because yeah. you want to build up some continuity with your line mates. And the fact that he's going to miss so much timing, mean, it's not like he's going to be doing a lot of stick handling with his finger in a, in a splint for the next couple of weeks. Inopportune timing, but I think by all indications, O'Reilly should be back with a couple weeks to go in the regular season, and hopefully he'll be able to get up to speed by then. Look, I think the the bright side, if you're going to look and find the bright side to what we all learned yesterday with Tavares and O'Reilly is that it happened now and not closer to the playoffs, right? I mean, adversity brings out the best in a group. And considering, you know, some of the struggles we've seen with this Maple Leafs team over the last week as they were on their, their Western road trip, Maybe this is something that helps bring the the group closer together. It always does. It always, you know, um, you know, ends up playing a role with good teams in the league. It did for the Maple Leafs earlier on this season. It's it's what really allowed them to build an identity of this group. So you're hoping that that same thing translates to this moment right now. And, and to be honest, with you like even with the new players. This could be the best thing for the new players because now they can settle into more comfortable roles, maybe with not as much pressure on them, and just allow them to get their feet wet a little longer, knowing that, you know, a guy like Lafferty, you know, even a guy like Achari, getting more responsibility, feeling more comfortable with the group, maybe finding a way to contribute a lot more. And all that's going to do is just build more confidence for them once guys like O'Reilly come back in the line. And a guy like O'Reilly isn't a guy I really worry about missing time because this guy knows how to play the game of hockey. Like, he, there's a reason why he's he's won a Stanley Cup. He's a Conn Smythe winner. He's a Selkie winner. I mean, you go on and on about the trophies he's got in his, in his trophy case. But does it suck? Absolutely. It sucks not having him involved. But the good side of the injury that he is dealing with is that he can still be skating. He can still keep his conditioning up. And I can guarantee you this is a guy that will definitely pride himself in doing that because he'll want to make an immediate impact when he comes back. Yeah, and he will make an immediate impact when he comes back. It's just a matter of when that will be. He's eligible to return, I believe, is it March 29th or April 1st? So you know, end of March, early April, and it's pretty safe to assume he will be ready to rock by then. John Tavares had a broken finger back in 2019, missed two and a half weeks. So maybe a little bit longer of an injury than what Tavares had back then, but uh, definitely not a season-ender for O'Reilly. I think beyond the Ryan O'Reilly stuff, for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the fan base right now, the biggest concern is Morgan Riley and his 
recent stretch of play here following his knee injury. And this is a game tonight in which he'll be paired with his third separate D partner in the last week. He was with Justin Hall last week, and then he was with Luke Shen, who was away from the team, tending to personal matters. Tonight he'll be paired with Timothy Lilligren. Let's hear from Sheldon Keefe on that pairing and how it could look. Just kind of how the other groups shake out, and, and that's really it. But uh, Lilligren has played good for us all season. We've kind of pulled back on him here the last little bit to give uh, Shen and, and Gustafson a chance to get in and get comfortable with our group. But, uh, you know, we'll get him, get him back in, and we'll just go with six defense tomorrow. So, uh, you know, the chance for him to get going. He's, you know, he's, we have been working him through on the power play and getting him some extra touches there, even more so here now going into tomorrow night. So, yeah, that's, he's an important guy for us for sure. They're trying anything and everything to get Morgan Riley going here. And the third new D partner in a week, I mean, I guess some of it is necessitated by Shen being away, but they're hoping and praying somebody could get Morgan Riley going. Is it TJ Brody? Is he next? Is he going to be who uh, Riley's paired with on Saturday against the Oilers? But I think it's pretty obvious that Keith, number one, wanted to get Timothy Lilligren back in the lineup after sitting for a couple of games because Lilligren is an important part of this team going forward. But for Riley, I mean, he's got to figure it out. Like that, that, That's pretty much it because uh, the way he's been playing is not necessarily um, in line with what we've seen from him at all. So maybe it's Lilligren who's going to be the key to unlocking Morgan Riley uh, and his past performance this year, and it remains to be seen. Look, I, it's, it's crazy that we sit here and we're talking about a guy that has built up such a profile for himself and Morgan Riley with – you know his status of who of what how, how he represents himself for this team and 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 for this organization you know class act both on and off the ice why are we sitting here talking about certain players that need to get morgan riley going like it should be the opposite like morgan oh, riley most, should be the most guy certainly. most morgan certainly. riley should be the guy carrying this back end dragging this team you know, with with his strong play and into the into the fight and into you know a, a leadership role, like you shouldn't have to experiment with guys like like um, Hall or Shen or Lilligren and say, oh, we got to find somebody to get Morgan Riley going. Look, it's simple. If you're a coach, you sit Morgan Riley down. And you say, look, man, it's pretty obvious. You and I both know that you're not playing the way you should be playing. So here's the way I want you to approach things moving forward. Stop putting so much pressure on yourself. You're a great player. If you're trying to do too much, well, that's when you're going to expose yourself the way you're exposed. Just focus on doing the simple things. Do what Morgan Riley does best. Skate with the puck. Make a good first pass. Be hard on the puck. Be strong defensively. Don't worry about leading the play all the time and having worrying about getting your cookies and worry about you know putting in your points. You're going to get your opportunities on the power play. But when you're playing five on five, you need to be more of a reliable guy no matter who you're playing with. You should be the guy carrying your partner, not your partner being a guy carrying you. And who that guy ultimately ends up being, personally, if it's me, I'm putting Luke Shen with him. Because Luke Shen is a, is a Ron Hainsey version of a veteran guy knowing how to play a simple game, sound positionally, make the right plays, make the hard plays, 
And by doing that, if 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 Morgan Riley's on the on the ice with a guy who's making hard plays and playing a hard game, you're hoping that rubs off on him, and he starts to pick it up a little bit, because that's when Morgan Riley's at his best, and that's how he'll be the best version of who he is for this Maple Leafs team, because they're going yeah, to need to be that. Oh, most definitely. Well, Riley was playing with Ilya Labushkin in the first round against Tampa last year, and I don't know if Luke Shen represents a similar type player. I guess he does. The physicality, we know what Labushkin was for the Leafs. We know what Luke Shen has been for a very long time. I don't know. It's it's a really curious situation for Riley, and you keep expecting him to get his game back. I mean, it's Morgan Riley. The guy's been great for a long time, but he's really, really struggled, and... He's got to figure it out soon because that's a very important piece of the Toronto Maple Leafs back in. They can't be running McCabe and Brody out there for 29 minutes a night in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Although the way that uh, that, that that group has been has been playing versus the others, that might be something uh, that could indeed transpire if things don't right themselves sometime soon. Terry Koshan from the Sun. We'll talk to Buster Olney as well in the third hour of the program. Jamie McLennan as well. Looking forward to catching up with Noodles. We'll talk about the sensation that we caused on social media yesterday, Coco, with our thoughts that Matt Murray will start game one for the Maple Leafs, assuming he's healthy. Don't think it's outlandish at all, but we'll get Noodle's take on that. And we'll play some Make Sense or Nonsense on the other side as Hour 2 of First Up rolls on here on this Tuesday morning. You're listening to TSN 1050. Every Tuesday morning around this time, we play a little game called Make Sense or Nonsense here on First Up. It's Koronik and Koliakovo with you. We welcome in our producer, Cheese, into the program. There it is. Cheese. What do we got today, buddy? We're going to start with the absolute shambolic behavior of Scott Foster last night. Any referee, NBA or otherwise, should be subject to a suspension if it is found that they needless, needlessly ejected a player from a game. Yes, absolutely. This makes complete sense. Uh, you know, you talk about changing the referees' roles in games. Well... They should be held accountable for some of the decisions they make within the game because they're the guys that, for the most part, based on whatever call they make, whether they make it or they don't make it, can have a significant impact in the outcome. And that's the last thing we want to be referring to referees, you know, for is, is being the deciding factor in a game, like we saw in the Super Bowl, like we saw yesterday. So you start holding these guys accountable with fines or actually having to answer those questions after the game, does it change how they actually do their jobs? I so think if, so. If, if you missed what happened last night with between the Raptors and the Nuggets, there was a call on Scotty Barnes that was reversed with about 50 seconds left. And the next play down the floor, there's a foul on Jakob Pertl. Scotty Barnes said something. It looked, and this is just speculation, that he said to the referee, y'all are cheating, bro. That's what it looked like. That's what a lot of people uh, interpreted Scotty Barnes as to have said to have said to Scott Foster, the official. Scott Foster ejects Scotty Barnes uh, from the game. couple technicals, and that was his first ever career ejection. And Denver goes on to win the game. So as far as your question goes, Cheese, should be subject to a suspension if it is found they needlessly ejected a player from the game? Of course. Well, the question is, if Scotty Barnes accusing the, rep, the referees of cheating, is that needlessly? I think so. I mean, it's a massive overreaction, and that determined 
in a law in a large part the outcome of that game last night between the Raptors and the Nuggets. So as far as the question goes, yes. But again, I always struggle to to determine whether or not that's needlessly um, ejecting a player from the game because I don't know Scott Foster clearly had some. I don't know. It's just it's just garbage, man. I mean, the fact that the Raptors lost that game because of the officials last night and Scotty Barnes getting ejected, it's, it's just really egregious and it really pisses me off. Going to the other end of the spectrum, I bet you Seahawks fans are not pissed off today. They have Geno Smith locked up for the next three years. And with Geno Smith locked up now, the Seahawks deserve to be the favorite to win the NFC West in the upcoming season. What? <laughs> that that is nonsense. That is nonsense. Keep in mind, cheese. Seattle has the worst defense in the NFL. The worst. And the team that has the best defense in the NFL is the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, and this. They are absolutely unquestioned. I don't care if Koliakov is playing quarterback for them next year. <laughs> not Trey Lance, not Brock Purdy, not Jimmy G, not Tom Brady, whoever. The 49ers should be the favorite to win the NFC West. And frankly, it would be stunning if they didn't win that division. Yeah, that's complete nonsense. The fact that the Seahawks should be the favorite, not with not in the same division as the San Francisco 49ers who with the way they're built and the way they could, you know, operate at the quarterback position with two players playing on rookie contracts, it still gives them more room to go out and and improve their team even more around the quarterback position. So, yeah, it's it's nonsense that the Seahawks would be considered favorites in the NFC West. One team that will not be favorites in their division next year are the New York Jets. And even if they do trade for Aaron Rodgers, they shouldn't be projected to finish higher than third. That makes complete sense. I mean, why is why do people think Aaron Rodgers is the difference maker? Aaron Rodgers played in one of the easiest divisions in football last year and still couldn't help the Green Bay, let alone win the division, make the playoffs. This guy could not make the, make the playoffs. And people could say what they want about wide receivers and he didn't have his weapons and stuff. Well, who's sitting on the Jets right now that's any more of a great threat wide receiver than the Green Bay Packers had? I, I think Aaron Rodgers is probably the most overhyped quarterback right now. I mean, because... Think about it. What did he do last year that 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 make that gives him this sense of entitlement to think that anywhere he goes, he's going to help a team? You're win. absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, and last year, not his finest performance at all. He was terrible last year. Didn't have a 300 right. yard game. Aaron Rodgers is a guy who puts up a ton of 300 yard games. And I guess you ask the question: What makes people believe Aaron Rodgers could be a difference maker? It's because the two years prior to last year, he won the NFL's MVP. That's so fair. That that's, that's fair. the answer to your question. And whether or not the New York Jets with Garrett Wilson, amongst others, at wide receiver and tight end. I mean, they've got some weapons. They've got Brees Hall in the backfield. They've got some weapons offensively. they got defense. And they've got Garrett a really Wilson. good defense. Green Bay had the best already, running game. I Garrett Wilson. But, yeah, it's, uh, oh, it's, it's, oh. it's completely obvious why the Jets are looking at it because they're hopeful that they could reignite the Aaron Rodgers from a couple years ago who was one of, if not the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And is, is that a possibility? Of course. But it's, a, it's also a significant risk as well for the New York Jets. But you think about it. The Jets and the Packers are eerily similar to the teams that Aaron Rodgers would potentially play for. Green Bay had a great defense. They had one of the best running games in the league. Eerily similar to the Jets, who had a great defense, a really good running game. The only difference is in 
in the NFC North, you had the Minnesota Vikings, who had one of the luckiest seasons in the NFL. You had the Detroit Lions, who were an up-and-coming team. And you had the, the lowly Chicago Bears, who were drafting first overall. Um, do you know who's in the AFC East? It's the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins, who are superior to anything that the Jets are right now, or even with Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron Rodgers heads to the Jets, they make a couple of uh, shrewd free age acquisitions draft. Well, I think they could be right there with Miami. I don't think they're necessarily competing with uh, with Buffalo. And you know, New England's also something that we need to factor in. Maybe a resurgence season from them. Um, their defense is really good as well. Think about the defenses in that division. I mean, uh, some really quality ones. And the Jets would definitely qualify. New England would definitely qualify. Of course, Buffalo's got a good D as well. What's next, Cheese? We're going to go to a certain corner of Leafs Twitter because uh, this is something that they've been pushing for a while. So let's address it. Rather than re-sign Morgan Riley to an eight-year extension, the Leafs should have traded him last offseason and given Rasmus Sandin a more prominent role. It's easy to say now to do that because everyone's falling in love with recency bias where... Rasmus Sandin gets traded to the Washington Capitals and has five points in two games playing for the Capitals. But going back two years ago in a team that is basically in a win-now window, would Maple Leafs have felt good making Rasmus Sandin the guy to lead this team in a win-now window? No. I, I, look, is this something that the Maple Leafs might regret two, three, four, five years from now? Maybe. Maybe not. What if the Maple Leafs win a round this year, or two rounds, or three rounds, or get lucky and win the Stanley Cup? Are people going to say they made a mistake? No. So, signing Morgan Riley was the appropriate move to make for a team in a win-now window because... After Morgan Riley, you didn't really have a number one defenseman. Yeah, at the time, it was the right move. Keep in mind, guys like Seth Jones, Darnell Nurse had signed big contracts for more than $9 million per. Morgan Riley signed for, for seven and a half. And I'm not necessarily saying Riley at that time was the same quality defenseman as those two I had just mentioned, but he was, in, he was within the same conversation. So you could argue that Riley gave the Maple Leafs a little bit of a discount on what he could have gotten on the open market. That being said, yeah, right now, the way that Sandine's playing for Washington, five points in two games, playing more than 23 minutes a night, he's looking great. And could the Maple Leafs have made that swap? But, I mean, yeah, you could make the argument now. But, again, that's revisionist history. We're looking back at something that, at the time, almost everybody was looking at favorably. Just Morgan Riley needs to play like Morgan Riley in this conversation this point will be moot. So it's, it's on him. It's not on anybody else. Morgan Riley needs to play like he's capable of playing. And then the Sandine, what could have beens won't be part of the conversation. We will f- conclude on the other side of Ontario with last night's loss with what amounts to the Blackhawks AHL lineup. The Ottawa Senators proved that they aren't ready to enter contender status in the NHL. The Ottawa Senators, help me, so help me understand this question again. The Ottawa Senators contender status? They're not ready. Playoff contender. Uh, they, playoff. Playoff. Oh, contender. playoff contender. Um, yeah. 
Look, I, I think the Ottawa Senators are still a really good, fun story to follow here, but that is going to be a loss that they're going to look back at if and when they don't make the playoffs and say, we messed up that one. Because um, I think Claude Giroux and other people pointed out yesterday the fact that their schedule is one of the hardest in the NHL down the stretch here. they got teams like Carolina twice, Boston twice, uh, the Maple Leafs a couple times. You can't be losing games to Chicago if you want to stay. No way. If, if you're playing catch-up in the NHL, just can't. Yeah. It really is stunning to see the way that they performed. I mean, I, I still can't believe they got shut out by Chicago. Right. I mean, like, seriously? Like, it's one thing to lose, but to get shut out? Well, and, and the same goes for the Winnipeg Jets here, right? Where, like, San Jose and Chicago, two teams who are trying to be bad for Bedard here, their lineups are truly abysmal, and these, te- these teams just don't show up. And play, although well, Winnipeg was much better than Ottawa was last night. Obviously, they lose in overtime to San Jose. But, I mean, you're talking about a San Jose team that has devoid of talent. Same as Chicago. you got to be winning those games. And for Ottawa in particular, who are chasing a playoff spot, Winnipeg is pretty secure. I mean, they just got to be better. And that's that, I think that's definitely going to bite them in the ass in the final 15 to 20 games here. Because the games against Chicago are scheduled wins. You need to take care of right. business. And you can't be allowing Seth Jones to score twice. Seth Jones, the leading scorer for the Blackhawks, two goals. Oh, man, a tough one for Ottawa. We should mention Cam Talbot did pull the shoot just before the game, so that's a tough spot for the Sens, but still no excuse. If you want to be in the playoffs, you got to take care of business against a team like the Blackhawks. It would have been funny if Ottawa actually played the emergency, the the e-bug goalie, Scott Foster, who was... The guy called into duty yesterday because of Cam Talbot's last-minute um, exit from the game, or before the start of the game, because Mandelazy played right yesterday. Or no, Sogard, Sogard, Mandelazy yeah. was on recall. Mm-hmm. But how how cool would that have been if they would have double, given Scott uh, Foster? <laughs> double Scott had, Foster. He screws he over the wrap, screws over the sends. His NHL resume could have read Chicago and Ottawa. Couple good, a uh, couple good jerseys to have for the uh, for the for the man cave. If you're Scott Foster, she's we got time for one more. Go ahead. All right, one more here. TJ Brody is the defenseman that is most likely to be paired up with Morgan Riley for Game One of the playoffs. I think that's nonsense. I think they are going to roll with McCabe and Brody. That is their shutdown pair. We saw it last year against Tampa. It was Brody and Jake Muzzin. I think they brought in Jake McCabe to fill that void left by Muzzin. I'm not saying he's necessarily able to do it entirely. It's a little bit of a different type player, but I think it's going to be McCabe and Brody against the Kucherov line, and they're going to need to figure somebody to play with Morgan Riley or... Morgan Riley turns his game around. doesn't matter who he plays with. Lilligren, Hall, Shen. Morgan Riley should be more than capable of playing better than he is. And my guess is he does figure it out before the end of the season. That's an important storyline for the Leafs. See, this is a take that actually makes sense to me, AK. And here's why. Why do you need one shutdown pair? Why can't you have two guys or two pairings that help give you more of a comfortable four-man shutdown pair and what i mean by that is morgan riley's played really good with tj brody alongside him if you use that as a pairing why can't you use jake mccabe and luke shen as a pairing two guys that would bring you more physicality more of a defensive minded 
approach to the back end. And Luke, Luke Shen ain't no stranger to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Not at there's all. A guy, there's a guy that knows this team better than anybody in this group because he played there for two cha- for two Stanley Cup runs. So, I mean, he's a guy that played a top-pairing role. I'm not saying he's a top-pairing defenseman, but you give this guy added re- responsibility with the way he plays and Jake McCabe with the way he plays, why can't those two guys be a pairing? And you use four guys right now. That can that are able to share the responsibility as a matchup. Um, yeah, I mean it's possible, guys. man. I, I do think that we can take a lot from what we saw last year by the approach by Sheldon Keefe heading into this year, like the way that he utilized the third line last year. It was Mikheyev, Engvall, and Camp, and they, they acted as kind of the de facto shutdown line. I think when Ryan O'Reilly returns, he will probably spearhead that third line in a similar type role leading that charge against the Kucherov and Braden Point line who I mean those guys are getting benched for entire periods right now it's it's weird how both teams Toronto without O'Reilly without Tavares right now Tampa without any semblance of quality in in their play uh, both teams kind of reeling right now for different reasons so uh, it'll be really interesting to see how Tampa responds tonight against the Philadelphia Flyers and the Toronto Maple Leafs in action tonight against the New Jersey Devils. We'll talk to Terry Koshan from the Sun, who I imagine is in New Jersey covering this game for the Toronto Sun. I'll talk to Buster Olney as well. The World Baseball Classic begins today. I don't know if you saw Shohei Otani, what he did in Japan in an exhibition game yesterday, was hitting dingers off of one knee. I mean, what? Otani is just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, we'll talk to Buster about that. Who was the former about, baseball player that would do it? Was that Gary Sheffield that would go down on one knee to hit a home uh, run out of the well, park? Yeah, Gary Sheffield had that like amazing batting stance, or like waggle yeah. the bat back and forth. I mean, yeah, I gotta look saw, this up. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see what we can find. You got to be really strong to do that, and we know how unbelievable that um, an athlete, Shohei Otani, is. He put that on full display uh, yesterday. So we'll get to that with Buster as Jamie McLennan as well from Overdrive in about an hour. Uh, we'll play some bet and breakfast on the other side. This is first up, hour two. We've got Terry, Co- Terry Koshan of The Sun in about eight minutes' time. We'll talk about the Leafs and the Devils tonight. We should issue a public apology, Coco. You and I, to those who followed our picks on FanDuel yesterday, Dump and Chase, not a good one. Not a good one for us. Uh, the Ottawa Senators. Not the best. Not the best. Louis Domingue. The, uh, How Winnipeg does that Jets. happen? Well, I mean, it happens because we suck at betting on the NHL. Just <laughs> <laughs> a straight up fact. We are horrendous. Jeez. One of the coldest streaks in the history of betting right now, you and I on Dump and Chase. Yeah, but here's what it means, weeks. man. We're going to go on a precipitous tear. We are so due. The gambler's fallacy definitely applies to us. And it's not a fallacy. It is a fact. We are about to go on a tear here. Uh, We are going to pick so many winners in the coming weeks. It's going to be something special. I love your level of confidence. Yes. Is it real? No. Every time I hear you talk like this, (laughs) it's just false hope, man. Yeah, I, I, I am an excellent better on the CFL, do very well. Uh, NFL, do very well. The NHL, not so much. So here's my favorite play tonight. The Devils. I love the Devils tonight. They're at home. <laughs> so bet on the Leafs, people. The Leafs will win tonight because I love New Jersey. I like them on the puck line. I like them to win in regulation. I like them to win on the money line. So the Devils are at home. They're playing really well. The Leafs' f- fifth and final game of a trip. They're without Tavares, without O'Reilly. Not a great spot for the Leafs. Great spot for the Devils here. 
So, needless to say, the oh, Leafs I'm will win. Smashing the Leafs now. You should smash said. the Leafs. The way that things have been going. I'll <laughs> uh, we'll Terry Koshan his thoughts on the Leafs tonight. Uh, he covers the team for the Sun. Uh, and his thoughts on what's going on with Morgan Riley. Who is the best fit to play with him leading into the postseason? And life without Ryan O'Reilly begins tonight as well. Leafs Breakfast is next. This is Leafs Breakfast. It is indeed Leafs Breakfast here on First Up. You're listening to TSN 1050. Big one for the Leafs tonight in New Jersey. Taking on a Devils team that is 4-0-1 in their last five games. They've got Timo Meyer in the lineup. He's playing with Jack Hughes and Jesper Bratt. Difficult matchup for whichever D pair goes up against that trio. And the Leafs have difficulties of their own. No John Tavares tonight and no Ryan O'Reilly for the foreseeable future. Let's welcome in Terry Koshan, Maple Leafs reporter for the Toronto Sun. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, guys. Uh, great to have you back on the show. And let's start with Ryan O'Reilly, the situation there with the broken finger. He'll miss... <laughs> 10 games, 24 days. What are you hearing about O'Reilly and just how long this injury could extend to? Well, it's one of those things that uh, it's a little bit up in the air because I think, you know, the fingers can heal differently for different people. Of course, for him, uh, you know, where it is, the hand that it's on, I mean, how he plays, the face-offs that he takes, how important he is in in these parts of the games, in these parts of the game, sorry. Uh, it's, it's going to be an issue. And, uh, you know, it's probably a little too early to put a, a timeline on it. He was seeing a specialist in Toronto yesterday, guys, here. And, um, you know, the, the Leafs will keep their fingers crossed, uh, no pun intended, an awful one at that. But, you know, it's not longer than <laughs> well the LT, yes, yeah, thanks, Rob. The, the other, uh, it's not longer than the LTIR, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, timeline, if you will. And if it is, I mean, you're still looking at early April probably, which gets him back into the lineup for a handful of games. So, you know, is it good that he can skate while he's recovering? Yes. Is, is it good that he's likely to get back for a few games before the playoffs? And of course it is. And is it good right now, though? No, it's not. Because you want him in the lineup. You want him. He's done good things for the first uh, eight or nine games he's played. You want to keep that going. And now there's a stall there. But we hope that when he does get back, he gets the ground running. Do you think this is a good opportunity for Sheldon Keefe to better evaluate some of the newer players um, in the absence of O'Reilly and Tavares? I guess so, Carlo, but you know what? He knows what they are anyway. Like, you know, Lafferty's going to get a chance here between Aaron Croke and Nylander, but you can evaluate all you want, I suppose, but that that's not long-term by any stretch. I think right now the key for, for Keefe is just making sure things work on a night-to-night basis. And, you know, you, you said off the top, you look at what New Jersey has and, and, and their record in the last little while and, you know, the way that they've been playing. Um, this is a good a good opportunity for some of these guys to just to demonstrate that, okay, we can get the team through difficult times when we have, our, you know, two of our three top centers not playing tonight. And, uh, you know, David Camp. Uh, you know, he'll have military on one side, so you would assume that, you know, if things don't go well for the in the face-off circle, we have not that that ever happens. You move Achari in at certain points. So I'll be curious to see how Achari plays in the wing, but uh, I would imagine that at some point he'll be back in the middle. And, uh, yeah, it, it's – I guess you can evaluate to a degree, but, you know, Sheldon Keefe is thinking, well, listen, um, we don't expect to have – 
injuries. So Tavares is likely going to be back on Saturday from whatever it is that he has. So we know that this is not this is kind of a stopgap thing for a guy like Sam Laffrey. But on the other hand, like I say, it's a really good opportunity for these guys to go and really prove their worth, especially against, like I said, a team like New Jersey. That, you know, you never know. They could meet in the playoffs. Terry, of course, with guys like John Tavares and Ryan O'Reilly out, more of the offensive focus goes to the top line, guys like Austin mm-hmm. Matthews and Mitch Marner. And Austin Matthews pretty clearly is not the goal scorer he was last season. What have you seen in him this year that, or I guess, what, what, you, what have you seen in Austin Matthews last year that you haven't seen this year? Because no one can really pinpoint exactly what's been going on with him and why he's not scoring at the same pace. Right, because when you look at his overall game, you, you come away fairly satisfied, or you should. Uh, but what, what you're not seeing is the uh, connectivity, I guess. Or, uh, we've seen a lot of this. In the disco, I remember I did the game in Winnipeg. It was just the end of October. And, um, you know, there was a, I think we're, we're sitting right above the one end, and at one point, Matthews lined up for the one-timer, and the puck just skittered off the stick and went behind the net. And, uh, you know, I, I would have been surprised if it even counted as an attempt. And that sticks out because you've seen that sort of thing from him this year in the offensive zone, where it just hasn't, there's been a centimeter or two off on some of these opportunities. And last year, guys, every single one was on his tape, and then it seemed like it was in the back of the net, right? You know, maybe last year was just one of those years where, you know, something dropped 60 times, and you're not necessarily going to get that all the time, obviously. He could return to 60 goals in his career. I think he has the potential to do that. Clearly not doing it this year, but, you know, I, I think there's just, it's hard to say, though, like, they, they, because then what leads to that? Uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's something hard to put your finger on, like you said, Aaron, but on the other hand, the I just think his overall game, the way he's played, uh, you know, and where the Leafs are in the standings, too. I mean, that's the, the other thing to consider is that, you know, Matthew's not filling that with the regularity, regularity that he did, hasn't hampered them. They were never going to catch Boston anyway. We know that. And they have a sizable bulge on, on, uh, on Tampa. You know, other people have picked up the slack. We've talked enough about what, you know, what Martin does on a nightly basis and, of course, what William Elander's doing. But as far as Matthews goes, you know, whether it's something lingering this season, uh, that's probably the case. I think, you know, it's been alluded to a few times. It's had other issues that haven't, you know, related to this original nagging injury. But, the fact of the matter is, I think you stand back and look at his game as a whole, you have to be uh, quite satisfied with it. Terry, uh, me and Aaron did a hit on TSN Edge yesterday talking about the number of 50 goal scorers that the NHL could potentially see this year. And there's seven guys right now on pace for 50. And it's crazy to think that Austin Matthews isn't even close to being in that conversation. And, 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 you know, you just mentioned it. I don't know what you necessarily point that finger at. Clearly, mm-hmm. you know, he's missed uh, some games because of, you know, nursing something or injuries or whatever it may be. But I'm with you in the sense that, like, I, I came into the season not really caring how many goals Austin Matthews scored because this is a guy that has shown that he's a better all-around player. And if him being a better all-around player allows this team to still have success – and, you know, be better in the playoffs from it, I'm willing mm-hmm. to take that with Austin Matthews as long as the other guys pick up the slack. So, I, we'll, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, he would tell you the same thing, Carl. Yeah. I think he would. I, I, hands down, he would. Of course, listen, would he, would he like to be one of those people shooting for 50, if not there, um, already? Well, yeah, because I think we saw last year, too, like it's, 
it's not like he was poor defensively either. It wasn't just sitting in one end of the ice and, you know, scoring all these goals. He was getting a lot done. But still, his overall game, like you say, is there. And, and like I said, he's, he'd probably say the same thing that you're saying. And, and the overall game is what you want in the playoffs, right? I mean, it's, right. he has 10 power play goals. Would you like the Eagles' strength to be higher? Of course, who usually does quite well in that category. But special teams will help win you games in playoffs. And those 10 power play goals will look pretty good once the playoffs start. Terry, you're around this team more than either one of us, watching them, you know, morning skates, watching them in practices, watching how this team carries itself. And we had a conversation yesterday around the goaltending uh, with the return of Matt Murray, you know, and obviously the great season that Samsonov has had. And there was a, a lot of debate about who would be the starting goaltender for the Maple Leafs if the playoffs started tomorrow. Where do you, what mm-hmm. side of the fence do you stand on with, with that decision? Samsonov. You're going with Samsonov. Well, we, hold on, j- j- just to clarify, we didn't say that if the playoffs started tomorrow. We projected okay. when the playoffs began, Coco. That was our, okay. that was our assertion. Sure. Obviously, sure. if the playoffs start tomorrow, Samsonov's going game one. But if the playoffs well, start in six, in six weeks, right. obviously, that's a completely different situation. Go ahead, Terry. Well, it is, but it, it, you're still only going 50% one way or the other, and I'd still go Samsonov for that. Because, you know, all in all, you, you, you look at his game and you think, well, it's going to come off it a bit, and and it, it really hasn't. Uh, he doesn't have long, you know, lulls in his game, and uh, either, you know, during a game or game to game. And, and uh, you know, his confidence is good, I, I think, and uh, I, I would just expect he would be the guy. Now, a lot, a lot can change in the next five and a half weeks. I understand that. And, you know, but if Matt Murray, put it this way, if Matt Murray is going to make a run for this, then he has to get his game in order. And at the same time, you know, hope that there isn't another injury there for him because as we've seen, and as teams previously saw, especially in Ottawa, he's prone to these things. So I, I would think it's going to be Samsonov just based on play to this day and, and like I say, why that would change for the next five and a half weeks. Um you might have to have me on a little bit longer to go down that road because right now I just don't see it. And he yeah. would be the guy. Well, you know? just playoff experience would be a one part of the equation, I suppose. But when it comes to goaltending, I question what yeah. exactly that means. But we'll talk well, to Jamie McLennan, who's our goaltending guru, uh, in less than an hour, <laughs> Terry. So we'll, we'll let we'll let you we'll send you the, the clip of the podcast. Terry Koshian from the Toronto Sun is our guest here on Leafs Breakfast. We talked about Austin Matthews. I mm-hmm. use the word struggles, at least relative yeah. to last year. I think the same thing could apply to Morgan Riley, who's not played well. I think everybody would agree. I'm sure Morgan Riley would agree. He's got another yeah. new D partner tonight in Timothy Lilligren, played with Justin Hall, played with Luke Shen the last week or so. What do you think is going wrong with Morgan Riley right now, and how do they get him back on track? I don't know, but you know what? They've got to, he's got to get this right. I mean, the player himself, he's a smart guy. Listen, he's one of the smartest people on the team. Uh, he's a smart hockey player, and this this is not again. You know, you, you look at Matt, say what's off. Well, he's, his overall game is fine. You can't look at Morgan Riley and say the same thing. We, we, that's obvious. I mean, the Norris Trophy level that he played at a few years ago and scored twenty goals and was doing everything right—that's just not there. And uh, again, it, it's a little hard to say what that is because he's got the foot speed and everything to recover and. You know, but the decision making isn't always the best, and it's it's a bit of a head scratcher. There's no doubt about it. Um, and you know, one of the things that Keith has got to do now again 
in these final weeks is, is get these the D pairs right. It looks like we're going to see McCabe with Brody against New Jersey. You know, if you're peering ahead, that could be your your um, your shutdown pair in the playoffs. But I would argue that Brody is probably who Riley needs beside him uh, going forward. Uh, but, but again, that's this is this is more on number forty-four than anything else to get this right because we have seen it; it is off, and uh, the Leafs can't afford to have their you know their top um, their top minute guy, uh, you know, by well over a minute um, performing this way in the playoffs. It's going to hurt them. It's going to catch up to them at some point. And you know whether that would be against Tampa in the first round or, or you know presumably Boston in the second. He just has to be better, and, and but how he gets to that, it, it, it's hard to say. I, I guess, like I said, part of it is getting him with that right defense pair, defenseman. Sorry, um, you know, Timothy Lilligren's still a young guy. I don't know if that's going to work long term. Um, I just think that, that Brody would help, but if they want to go McCabe Brody, then they'll leave Morgan playing with somebody else. But uh, I don't know. Like I say, Carlo, you know, you, you you did the job and all that sort of thing, and it's I don't know if you see it as a bit of a head scratcher too or what, but it's just. You know, pinpointing what's been off for Riley is not necessarily easy because it's uh, it's happened, uh, you know, for most of the season. Well, just two things with Morgan Riley. Clearly, he's trying to do too much because mm-hmm. I think he's trying to live up to the contract, not having the same productive season. And I honestly think that his time to recover from that injury has taken a toll on him because he's probably not feeling like himself, which means, again, he's trying to do more than what he's probably capable of doing. I think there needs to be a sit-down with him and say, look, man, less is more. We don't yeah. need you to be the the Eric Carlson on our team. You know, We need right. you to be just a solid, stay-at-home guy that makes smart, simple plays and finish on the plus side of the score sheet every night. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah, you know? when he's at the top, you know, we know that when he said when he's at the top of his game, the puck movement for the Leafs and when he's on the ice is just right. you know they're it's so smooth, and so so we know that that's there. But you know, if if you're if you're a half step behind in decision making or anything, and, and the, well, obviously I'm talking about the defensive zone, then uh, you know we've seen it get it, get him into trouble this year, and and again, that's just not going to fly in the playoffs. I mean, because we you talking about the playoff format, but we start playing a an eight, a seven or eight team in the first round. They're playing a hell of a hockey team, and they're going to play another one right away if they win. So this has to get right. Now, Carlo, what you're saying too is, he, I guess the troublesome factor or whatever is you want to call it is that he, like I said, he's a smart guy. He knows this, and you kind of wonder why this 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 hasn't turned for him now and. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's like, uh, you know, if we all, like, we're facing a final exam or something, you say, okay, I've only got X amount of time to study for it now. I really have to buckle down. Well, there's only X amount of time now for him to get this right for the playoffs. And, and, uh, it, you know, it becomes this final stretch. But I'm with you. It's, a, it's, it's, um, sitting him down and going through this thing. Deanson is a smart guy, too. You know, he keeps got a good hand on things. So at some point, if that hasn't happened, you think it would. Not that they're going to tell us everything that's been said, but, uh, mm-hmm. I would think that that's the key going forward for sure. Well, it doesn't get much easier tonight against the high-flying New Jersey Devils as the Leafs and the Flyer and the uh, Devils, I should say, just after 7 o'clock. Terry, thank you for doing this as always. Great to have you back. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Pleasure. Terry Koshan from the Toronto Sun covering the Maple Leafs. Hour three of First Up on the other side. We'll talk to Noodles, Jamie McLennan, in 40 minutes. Buster Olney 
on the World Baseball Classic beginning and just how monstrous a year is Shohei Otani poised for. That's next in Hour 3.